Hey now, we are getting over, and I am the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, here to lead you through these hard times. Get it? With episode 214 of your favorite professional wrestling podcast. That's right, Getting Over is back once again, and we're coming to you just hours removed from AEW Dynamite Grand Slam, a very special 20,000 person attended event inside Arthur Ashe Stadium in Queens, New York. We're going to be talking AEW Dynamite, last week's AEW Rampage, and WWE's NXT all on today's show. Vintage Chris Vanini will be joining me for the AEW talk. There will be timestamps in our episode description, so you can skip around to whatever segment you want to listen to, but we're not going to waste a lot of time getting into it because we want to do this sort of instant analysis style, even though we're not necessarily doing it the night of the event. Chris and I were both extremely tired from our real lives, our jobs. I personally had to take apart a 52-inch television. Uh, That's an entirely different story for another day. The point is, we're going to make this show as expeditious as we possibly can. We're not going to crack a beer because we are taping it early in the morning, but nevertheless, we are here to give you that same instant analysis style content when it comes to AEW Dynamite Grand Slam. So with that, let's get into the show. And the way we get into the show is by reminding you that getting over. So please do us a favor. Stop being marks for yourselves and go back to being a mark for me. Go back to being marks for the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast. Head on over to Apple Podcasts. It's the app on your phone, the iTunes store on your computer, whatever the hell you use. And please drop us a five-star rating along with a review to let people know how much you love this show. I was just remarking to Chris before we started recording, how all of our episodes, the the traffic, the downloads, the listens are going up and up and up every single week. It's awesome. It's because you guys are taking the time to do that for us. And yes, I know many of you do not listen to this show on Apple Podcasts. You use another device or another app, I should say. If you can rate and review the show on those apps, please do so as well. Also, please do not forget to follow Getting Over on Twitter at Getting Overcast. You may ask, why should I do that? I follow a ton of other wrestling accounts. There's a lot of really good reasons. Not only do we talk about wrestling all week long, uh, especially live during the four major shows, we answer your questions on Twitter, but we also take them, bring them to the show and read them on the air as DM slides so you get to contribute to the podcast. We do pre and post show polls ahead of pay-per-view so you can also contribute Tell us what you expect from shows and what you thought of them when they go off the air. We have live shows on Twitter spaces 30 minutes before the kickoff shows of pay-per-views go on the air. You guys can not only listen to a live show for free on Twitter, you get to join us in and ask questions at the end of the show. And there's myriad other reasons to follow us on Twitter. We have a banner week here for getting over. Not only have we already done the WWE Extreme Rules Ultimate preview for Sunday's pay-per-view that's in our archives. Go listen to it, you know, after you're done listening to today's show before the pay-per-view on Sunday. But then Sunday night, as soon as the pay-per-view goes off the air, we're going to have instant analysis of WWE Extreme Rules. So a ton of things are going on here in the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast universe, and we appreciate all of you getting overheads being with us through it all. Chris, Man, I'm kind of like winded here from that opening. You got anything you want to say before we get into AEW Dynamite Grand Slam? No, nah, just thanks to everybody who's been listening. And Adam keeps updating me on, uh, on on what the most listened to episodes are now. And 
it's a great time to be a wrestling fan of any company. And it's a great time to listen to the Getting Over Wrestling podcast, too. That is certainly true, Chris. I really uh, appreciate all of you for listening to the show and contributing as much as you have in many different ways, not just with your time and your ears, but some of you financially as well, helping support the podcast. Appreciate all of that very much. So we don't normally have uh, main events here on the Thursday show, but yes, AEW Dynamite Grand Slam is indeed a main event. Let me also just reminder, I already said it once off the top, but there are timestamps in the episode. So if you want to skip to NXT later in the show, you can do that. If you want to skip around to Rampage, you don't have time. You can go to that from last week. You want to hear that first, come back to this, whatever the hell you want. Uh, but we're going to slide into the main event. And that main event is going to start with AEW Dynamite Grand Slam. Now, Chris, normally what we do when we uh, analyze something like a pay-per-view. We give some general thoughts off the top and then we kind of go down the card. I don't really want to do that this time. I kind of want to save those general thoughts for the end. So let's get right into it. Just like AEW got right into it on Wednesday night, Kenny Omega versus Brian Danielson. Talk about a stark difference between AEW and WWE. Okay. They delivered the top match of the card right away and the bell rang Four minutes into the show. So, yes. you know, compare this just as an example, and, and we're not saying one's better or worse necessarily. I'm just noting that it's a stark difference. Compare this to Roman Reigns and Daniel Bryan, uh, or compare this to Roman Reigns and Finn Balor, right, that we recently got on SmackDown. You have Roman Reigns' five-minute entrance. You have Balor's, you know, two-minute entrance. They're in the ring. Probably they go to commercial. They come back. They ring the bell. The match starts. And, that, and that's in the second hour of the show you know, somewhere around 9.30 p.m. This, 8.04 p.m., there's wrestling on my television. And that yeah, no, yeah. rarely happens in WWE. And uh, Well, first, compare it to, to Monday. I, I mean, Monday, Raw opened with a major it event. It did. What we, what we thought was the biggest show, with the biggest match of the show, which was the Bloodline versus the New Day. And I, I don't know exactly how long it took, but we, we had the New Day come out, Biggie talk, you know, get his praise for the title, which was important. You did. That was a little bit that. of a different situation. Yeah. Agreed. That's but okay. then you, but then, yeah. but then you had the, the, the bloodline come out. Roman had his long entrance and it is just, there's so often on raw, it takes forever before you finally get to the show. And it was refreshing. I literally, you're right. I looked at my clock when the bell rang. Me <laughs> too. Yeah. Yep. Seven Oh four. Cause I'm on central time. I was like, Oh wow. So they're just going for it. And it's again, it's, it's knowing your audience and knowing how to, play into that I like yeah. if, if if new day and bloodline had just started out with a match it would not have gotten that same reaction because wwe has conditioned its fans correct that there is a formula to these things and and it will take time to change that if they want to change it and the last i i said it on tuesday the last three of the last four wwe tv shows have been really good and really eventful but mm. it's going to take a long period of time if you're going to really make major changes nxt we're used to starting off with a match instead of a promo that's sometimes too much i i've not always liked that but they knew what their fans wanted and they immediately gave it to them well, and that's that's and that's what a company that's what a wrestling company should often do and, and dynamite does that too you know every dynamite generally starts with a match right. pretty quickly after the show opens. Now, sometimes there's different machinations of how that happens, but that AEW has conditioned us to kind of expect this from them. And there's not, that's not to say that that's right and WWE's way is wrong, because there's something to be said for 
getting people ramped up with promo segments and then giving them a match or, you know, get doing that and then saving the match for the main event because, quote unquote, it is the main event and you want people to stick around for the entire show. So there's a lot of different ways to go about doing something. Um, AEW's way, it's just unique and different and it does set them apart. The other thing that sets them apart is the number of commercial breaks. And I think we can maybe talk about that a little bit later when we break this down. So let's get right into the match. So the bell rang after four minutes, like I said, the crowd was on absolute fire. It stood for three full minutes after the bell, I again counted, and it sold throughout the whole match, every punch and kick without fail. And again, that's just different from WWE because maybe this was, maybe there's a, a world in which, you know, you talk about like the multiverse of Marvel, right? Maybe there's one of those multiverses where Omega Danielson sucks as a match. Right. Where for some reason their chemistry is not Maybe. good and it, and it doesn't work out. Right. But the crowd, because it was selling every single thing they did, it never would have allowed you to believe it was a bad match. Now, again, yep. we knew this was going to be an incredible match. I'm just saying that added so much to how the match came across. Anyway, we'll get into it. Yep. So Danielson countered Omega's you can't escape combination with double knees. Hit her hurricanrana for a near fall. Omega responded with another one and a big tope con Hilo outside. Brian locked in cattle mutilation, which I believe he never used in WWE, or if he did, it was only once or twice. But and Omega there was a huge pop for that. A yeah, huge pop it was for some, cattle mutilation. That's well, it was something he used consistently on the independent. Right, so, right. Yeah. That's knowing your audience to, to get a crowd, big crowd pop out of that. Absolutely. Um, so Omega quickly found the ropes, though, when he tried that, so he never really got it in. Uh, Brian then delivered some kicks, ate a nasty Snapdragon on the plexiglass stage. Omega ran down the ramp with a sick V-trigger that like probably decapitated him or it looked like it was going to. And then it went to commercial break. Now, the crowd, like I said, played a huge role in making the quote unquote boring stuff, the punches, the kicks, the back and forth to start the match, as exciting as major moves. And I honestly believe that match could have ended with the Snapdragon, the V-trigger, and then a one-winged angel in the ring. And it still would have been a four-star match, like if it had ended right before that commercial break. But they come back from commercial break. Danielson was selling significant pain. He had an avalanche backdrop. Omega answered with an avalanche dragon suplex for a 2.5 count. Brian countered a one-winged angel into a poison rana. Then he dodged a V-trigger and hit a heel kick. But Omega countered Brian's running knee with a power slam and added a V-trigger for a near fall. Danielson dodged a phoenix splash and drilled Omega with a ton of kicks and stomps. Omega escaped a potential label lock as the ring announcer finally announced one minute left. And then the bell rang as they continued to brawl. There was another announcement at 45 seconds. Danielson tried to get the label lock after the bell onto Omega until the elite ran down to separate them. And then the Young Bucks and Adam Cole triple super kicked Brian while he was sitting in the corner and Jurassic Express ran down to make the save. So, Chris, there's so much to talk about. This was such a big match, such a big event. I want to break it down in three different ways. First, the, first, we'll start with the match. Then we'll go to the finish separately. And then the presentation of the entire thing. The sure. match was incredible. Okay. It was everything I wanted and expected from Omega Danielson, with the exception, of course, of a finish. It was great to see Brian do everything he wanted work rate wise. But there were times, I'm just being honest as a viewer, I did wince because I know he was limited in WWE for his own safety and for no other reason than that. I, I remembered back 
while I was watching the match to when he returned to WWE. And I remember that first match on television, everything he did, the running stuff into the corner, everything, and he flips over. I was like, like holding my breath, hoping he would be okay. And it took like about a month for me to get used to it. And once I did, I stopped thinking about it again. That those thoughts came back to my mind because it's a different level of intensity when you're wrestling, you know, whatever you want to call this independent style, work rate style, you know, NXT style, you know, whatever, um, PWG style, many are probably saying while I'm, while I'm kind of rambling here. Um, and especially when you're wrestling Kenny Omega and you're taking snapdragons and you're doing crazy moves, taking V triggers to the head, all this type of stuff. So just being honest, me as a viewer, this is nothing against the match or the presentation, just telling you how I felt. There were occasions where I kind of was like, oh, like, you know, I, I don't want to see Brian doing this. But anyway, the match was incredible. Yes. Let, me, let me finish up, then you can. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, the counters, reversals, the signatures, the psychology of Brian being so beaten down, yet able to still come back and then almost get over on Omega at the end. All of it worked. Omega has had plenty of great and good matches in AEW. But this is maybe the first time he again felt to me like best wrestler in the world, Kenny Omega, the guy I fell in love with watching in New Japan. So what did you think about the match? Yes, to that last point, that's exactly what I've been saying for a while in that Kenny Omega just did not feel like a big deal. And part of that's because he's being a Weasley heel. Part of that is because of the elite. And when you're in a group, it's harder to stand out. Part of it is because kind of his promo style. But this was the Kenny Omega that we've wanted to see for uh, two plus years, however many years it's yeah. been since AEW yeah, launched. Two plus years. And so, so it absolutely lived up to all the hope and expectations we had for this match. Tremendous, tremendous stuff. Your point on Dan O'Brien, I had the same reaction, and it does it doesn't help that he often convulses after <laughs> taking headshots. I know. And that's I him know. selling. I get it, but man, it's uncomfortable. And he did this at WrestleMania when he got the 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 concerto from I think Roman did it, or I don't remember who did it, but he was convulsing after that. And it's like this dude had has had a real serious issue with concussions and stuff like I, I think he has said I believe he said he's had seizures before like randomly so like this wasn't like WWE did not want to not clear him for all those years like right, they were legitimately concerned <laughs> yeah. about his health so and hey if he's been cleared obviously he came back to WWE he's been cleared since that's that's good I hope he's okay but I'm 100% with you that there are just times when he's taking the headshots and when he's he didn't. I don't think he did the headbutt here, but he brought back the headbutt a couple times in WWE, and we know wrestlers who have had uh, yeah. headbutt issues. So, yeah, that's just the style of wrestling, and I'll have to get used to it. I just hope he's okay. I'm sure he's okay, but uh, yeah, it it, it kind of takes you out for a minute when you see him convulsing after he takes a running V trigger. <laughs> for and it's only because of his history, you know. Yeah. Normally, yeah, if yeah. anyone else did that spot, you wouldn't think twice about it. Yeah, no, you know? we we care about Brian Danielson. We want him to be okay. And, right. And, and we believe he's doing the best to take care of himself, but it's just, right. it, it comes to mind. Right, like I'm not trying to take things down here. I You know, I trust the performer to do what's in the best interest of his own health. At the same time, this guy's a wrestling nut, right? And he wants to do all these crazy things that yeah. he wasn't really able to do because WWE was trying to protect him. This is a positive thing that they didn't want him to do a lot of those things. And probably 
for being candid, Brian, at least for the first year he was back, probably didn't want to do those things himself because he wanted to get the feel again and make sure he could do all these things safely. And it does seem like in many ways, for example, the Snapdragon uh, avalanche, he took off the top rope. The fact that he flipped completely over and landed on his front, that showed, hey, I'm going to do this in a safer way to protect myself. So I just did find that extremely interesting and something I wanted to point out. But again, match was incredible. I'll give you a grade later. Uh, Now for the finish. So I expected a time limit draw going into the show. That was my base level expectation. And when AEW announced it was a 30 time, 30 minute time limit before the match began, when normal singles matches that are non-title matches have 20 minute time limits on TV, to me, that just gave away what it was going to be. And that's okay. Um, So because I expected it, I didn't mind the finish, but I would be lying if I said it wasn't a letdown given how hyped up I was in the moment to see a finish. The real issue I had with it not was not that it was a draw. It was that AEW only announced at one minute left and then 45 seconds left that there was a countdown. I wish they had done it at either the two minute mark or the five minute mark, then again at the one minute mark and counted down the final 10 seconds audibly, you know, on the mic, live in the in the arena, stadium, whatever you want to call it. I wish they had done it that way because it would have improved the finish, amped up the crowd, and allowed the crowd to have the expectation that, hey, we're coming here to a potential time limit finish. The action's going to ramp up. There's going to be a lot of near falls. You're going to get even more excited for those near falls as the match comes closer to the conclusion. Instead, what happened is they announced 45 seconds you saw the crowd kind of get let down a little bit and then it was flat when the bell rang. Instead, it could have been hyped up when the bell rang. So I didn't mind the booking. I didn't think they handled it properly. So I I don't regularly watch or very often at all watch New Japan. So the time limit draw concept and everything that goes with it is, is I'm not as familiar with the, the machinations of it all. But obviously, you know, we did it. We have had some draws in AW before. I so I so I don't know the best way to do it. I think given the way the match ended, where it wasn't like someone got a finisher and they just missed out on the time. In some ways, I almost feel like it would have been better with no announcement, because like you said, they announced it and then you realized, oh, OK, it's going to be a draw. And then it got flat. They weren't, really, to, they weren't really close to a finish at that point. Right. Right. So when. When they came out and they announced 30 minute time limit, I heard that. And my first thought was, oh, okay, because TV, it's a big event. They're going to give it some more time. I actually did not really think of a draw until someone on Twitter right before the match said, I hope this isn't a draw. (laughs) And then I was like, oh, crap. Now now I'm thinking about it. So, you know, if if you had announced, but, but then the flip side is, if you announce it several times, especially in the arena where it's clear you can hear it in the stadium, then that implies that the wrestlers know and they have to pick up the pace. And, and I, I think that's where that's where it comes in to, to lean more toward doing it more as opposed to we know we're going to finish with them just kicking each other, essentially. So I, I don't know if there's a there's, there's no perfect way to do it. But to me, it didn't really take away from the match at all. Obviously, the, the end, we were kind of like, ah, it was kind of frustrating. But after about a minute, you kind of realize, man, we just got to see an awesome match and we're going to see it again at some point. 
and you kind of lived it. Like, like I didn't really see anybody today on on Twitter, even later on in Dynamite, being like, "Man, I'm I'm still really upset about that finish." I I, I think it didn't it didn't take away from it all that much. Oh no, not at all. But yeah, I, but I'm not <clears> sure. <throat> I, I don't know what. So, do you think they should have announced it multiple times? Like, yeah, I just feel like you you're going in the match. You said it beforehand that it's a 30 minute time limit, you know, for the match, which is fine. I think when you hit either the five minute mark or the two minute mark and two minutes is what we're used to as sports fans, you know, especially mm-hmm. from basketball. Right. Um, and for football, too, because you have the two minute warning. So I think right. at two minutes, you say uh, there are two minutes remaining and then you prompt again at one minute. There is one minute remaining and then you count 10, 9, 8, all the way to one. Uh, I think that because when you give that two minute warning, it tells the re- I mean, the wrestlers know how much time is left because the referee is literally telling them while they're going. Right. But I mean, but, like, in but, but it gives the wrestlers in kayfabe a reason to pick up the pace and start right, trying right. roll ups and backslides and trying to hit their finisher and countering each other and doing all that type of stuff. Whereas otherwise, it really doesn't. And then at the end, they're just brawling with each other, which is how this finished, as opposed to potentially in a pinning combination or potentially in a submission or something like that. So yeah, I just, again, I'm not saying it downgraded the match at all. It didn't, but it didn't allow it to reach the level it could have. And even yeah. if it was handled better, the time limit, it could have reached a little bit better in terms of a grade or in terms of how I perceive the entire thing. But it was still yeah. the first or second best television match that AEW's ever given us. And like, that doesn't change anything. I'm just, we're talking about it analytically here and I'm kind of saying, hey, look, yeah, there are ways in which it could have been done better. And I think hopefully this was a learning lesson. I hope it was a learning lesson for AEW where time limit draws will be accepted by your fans. Yep. Um, but do them a little bit better. That That's really all sure. I'm saying. It, uh, it, it, what would you have thought of this? If, if it ends with, with Brian getting Kenny in the Lavelle lock, and he and he knows and the announcers are telling you he's trying to hold on for the time limit. He's trying to hold on. Yes. Then the bell rings up and then he taps. We w- would that have worked or do you think people would have been upset that Kenny took another loss? Uh, well, even I wouldn't have him tap, but I uh, but I like the idea of him being in, in the submission. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. The idea of being in the submission, maybe it just gets locked in as opposed to Brian putting it on him immediately after the bell. Right. I think that like he just gets it locked in and you're like, oh my god, maybe this could he could have tapped him out, but maybe he's also close to the ropes. So he, oh, he could have take gotten the ropes yeah. also. So you're left in this ambiguity. Yeah. But it was a near finish, right? I think mm-hmm. that would have been a little bit more exciting. And there's a chance that that was meant to be the finish. And maybe it could t- be timing wise. It just didn't work out because they were standing at the time or whatever the case. It, it, Excalibur said he said, like, if there had been another minute, I think Brian would have won. Right. And I think they sold. I think commentary sold it well after the bell and. I kind of liked how they were separated and a little attack post-match. All of that worked. I'm just saying in the moment, you know, we're, yeah. we're crit- when things are good, we can still be critical or, or offer uh, critique, I guess is the better way to put it. Um, and I just think it could have been handled slightly better. But let's move on because we already talked about the match. We talked it, about the it, was, yeah, it was awesome. It was awesome. It was match. awesome. Great match. Let's talk about the presentation of the whole thing. It was awesome. It was just straight up fantastic. As I said in the opening, AEW going right to the match is a huge differentiator from WWE. It was a 30-minute match, and over the first 35 minutes of the show, we only had one commercial break, and that commercial break had picture-in-picture. So we did not miss a single thing, if we did not want to, of the entire match. In 35 minutes of SmackDown, just by comparison, 
And yes, it's on network TV, not cable. And Fox doesn't give it the leniency that TNT does. So it's very tough to do a direct comparison. But in 35 minutes of SmackDown, you're going to get at least two full commercial breaks, maybe three with no picture in picture. So I, I hearken back to the Roman Reigns, Daniel Bryan match, Bryan's last match. I believe there were two or three commercial breaks during that match, and it lasted about 30 to 35 minutes. And that was at the end of SmackDown. So it's just very difficult when you're WWE and you want to kind of put on a match like this, which they do. WWE puts on very good TV matches all the time. This was great. Look what we got on Monday. We got yeah, on right. Monday. We got a great one on Monday. I just mentioned Reigns and Bryan. Reigns and Balor was very good, but it was exceptionally short. Um, they can't do this even if they wanted to. So combining that, the fact that we got, I would say, 27 minutes of full screen wrestling television out of 35 minutes to open the show was incredible. Um, you combine that with the incredible crowd reaction, the great sights that were provided by Arthur Ashe Stadium, and it really made for this perfect presentation of this match. As far as a grade, it's really tough to grade this because Brian and Omega, it's almost a guaranteed five stars, but we did not get a finish. And that doesn't downgrade the match, but I don't know that it allows it to kind of reach that peak. So I'm close. 4.5, 4.75 stars, A, A plus. It's a, as good of a match as you're ever going to see on television. Yeah. If they either changed up what they did with the draw or they gave it a finish, a real finish, clean finish, it easily would have been five stars, maybe above five stars. That's kind of where I sit here. Yeah, and and, and like I, I don't even think the draw was, the draw itself to me wasn't that much of a, not even a negative, but, but let keeping no, it from it five stars. It was more just kind of the execution of it, as, as we just said. Draw, draws, draws are fine. In terms of the presentation of the whole thing, I mean, you know, when Raw was at, Ma or SmackDown was at Madison Square Garden, you know, we had a long Roman entrance followed by we run New York, I run Madison Square Garden. There was such like a, an identification of where they were. And that didn't happen here for, for what was probably, I think, the biggest crowd in AEW history for such a unique atmosphere. There was not much like like uh, pageantry over look where we are, look how awesome this is. They basically just allowed the energy of the fans to do that. And and I think it, it it worked out very well. That was a really cool atmosphere. I I didn't it didn't even hit me that the roof was going to be closed until me neither. Yeah, I didn't know. until the day until almost right before the show. But you know, I, I you know maybe you can maybe I don't know what the weather forecast was. I don't know what was behind it exactly. But doing that same thing in an open air in the future, I think would be awesome. I hope AEW continues to run this place. I hope they continue to run New York. I'm sure they will. They 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 love going back to Chicago because it's a very very good wrestling town. New York, we know New York is the same, no matter what Roman Reigns says about who runs it. <laughs> and so, it was a really fun atmosphere. I saw a bunch of tweets from people about taking the subway there and seeing wrestling people on the subway. It was just it was an event. And for for AEW not having pay per views every month, finding ways to just make special events is is, is a great alternative. I love running unique arenas. You know, like when WWE did that Tokyo show way back in the day, that was so cool. The the NXT in Dallas takeover that it was in that one arena, like like every WWE show looks the same. 
and I, I, I want them to try different venues. It's, it's except for the Royal Rumble, and stuff like that. Except for the except Royal for Rumble, Rumble and WrestleMania. Yep. Yes, right, right, right. And, and it's but every other show, but literally every other show looks the same. Yeah. You, yeah, you can do. I mean, there were. They said there were what eight thousand ticketed fans on Raw uh, the other day. You, if ticket sales are around that much, you can you can do some smaller venues to try some stuff out. And I, I think it would I think it would pay off long term to. Create oh, not only more that, if you go if you feelings. go to a if you go to a different unique venue, if you're WWE, it's going to bring more people out. If you yeah. go to an amphitheater, if you go to um, you know some like thing in a field or you know i don't even know like i I can't think off the top of my head the polo ground somewhere or whatever the case i think there's tons of opportunity for wwe to do really cool unique stuff they just don't do it and they they like their homogenized Mm -hmm. setup that's really what it is so yeah we can talk we can talk a little bit more about arthur ash stadium and and all of that maybe at the end when we wrap this entire thing up let's get to the rest of what happened on dynamite i will also say joshua silverstein unrelated uh, (laughs) at Kate T 19 underscore 99. He goes, the match was even better there. I've never experienced a roar like that just for a lockup. I've heard many things about just that match. I said it, you know, fans were on their feet, everyone for the first three minutes of the match. And I'm told many sections were on their feet the entire time. That's just, that's incredible. I mean, that's Daniel Bryan, Kofi Kingston esque, right? Um, Mm -hmm. You know, at at WrestleMania, that's what it was like. My section in that when I was there for WrestleMania, Everyone stood up, not the whole match, but like the final 15 minutes the whole time. And it's been the case for many WrestleMania main events I've been to. Uh, Undertaker, Edge, everyone was standing, I remember. Um, Ric Flair, Shawn Michaels, most of that match, a lot of people were standing. For that to be the opening match of a Dynamite, uh, a non-pay-per-view event, that's really impressive. Um, and, and real quick, real quick, um, before the day before, Daniel Bryan wrote an article for the Players' Tribune called Thank You, WWE. It was very, It was very heartfelt about how much he cared about WWE. And it was a really nice thing to do before this show. And just a complete opposite, obviously, of the punk situation. It was just a nice reminder that while there's a lot of animosity between AEW and WWE fans, there really isn't between the wrestlers and there doesn't need to be. So it was a nice change of pace from all the vitriol I often see on Twitter. So Oh, that's very a, true. I mean, that didn't stop down. the crowd from having anti-Vin signs, which whatever is their prerogative. Yes. Uh, but yeah, it's like everyone else gets along. Like, except for the fans. It's very, very ridiculous. Okay, let's go through the rest of this card. Uh, On Rampage, just a really quick note, Powerhouse Hobbs literally cut the best of any of those 30-second tape promos that I can remember in the history of (laughs) AEW, calling out CM Punk after the attack on Dynamite. And I only note that now. We're going to talk about Rampage separately in a little bit because the next segment was CM Punk. Uh, So he was right out after the commercial break following this match. He said it was the first time in a long time that pro wrestling was back in New York City and that he may get angry again one day, but the fans make him so happy and not even Team Taz and their sneak attacks can take that away from him. He promised to put powerhouse Hobbs to sleep on Rampage. And don't get me wrong, this was a great promo, but every CM Punk promo is a great promo. There wasn't really anything here to chew on and like there wasn't much to take away from it, but I will say it helped sell the Rampage match. And that was the point of the entire thing. I, I guess I don't know. To me, it was just kind of boring. I, it was. I, I don't boring. know. I, yeah, I agree. So it, it would. It's kind of whatever for me. It's fine. I mean, to follow up that match with CM Punk was a great move. Like just to keep the crowd hot. Absolutely. But I, I feel like in the, in the weeks or so since Punk has been there, he hasn't quite 
we haven't quite found a footing on what exactly he is or is supposed to be. And maybe that's because he hasn't wrestled in seven years. It's such a difference from Daniel Bryan, who came in with a clear purpose and, and intensity. But also one thing I, I noticed someone had mentioned on Twitter when Punk's cut his promo. You know what you don't get in AEW promos? You don't get what chance. And there's such a respect for the performer in that situation that it doesn't happen. While, again, WWE fans in attendance have often just been conditioned to do a what chant. And it was just like, I don't know, I just like I just like noticed it for some reason. It's not a new thing, but I just wanted to mention that as well, because it's you notice it back and forth. You do. And I do think that's a a worthwhile point. Uh, I actually think we've spent more time on CM Punk than his promo, but that's fine. Uh, MJF versus Brian Pillman Jr. was next. MJF countered Air Pillman into Salt of the Earth for the submission win. I'm just being honest. I actually had no thoughts about this match. It was basically a cooler, which is a weird spot in which to use MJF. But the card was so loaded and a lot of the other people on the card were, for lack of a better term, uh, people familiar to WWE fans, if that makes sense, um, that I don't really think there was much other choice for where to put this match. But I thought nothing of this at all. Uh, the only thought I had was I was surprised they didn't let MJF cut a promo uh, on on Queens and everything he kind of said leading up to it. Didn't have to be long. Could have just been two minutes, one minute, you know, just do a little something. I, I love the the scarf on the ramp that he came out to. That was very, <laughs> was a nice touch. But uh, yeah, I mean, when I, when I see MJF, the number one thing I want to see is is see him talking. He's he's a good wrestler, but he's just completely captivating on the mic. And um, I was kind of surprised he didn't get that. You are right. Honestly, a promo would have been better, or at least a promo before it would have been necessary. Uh, Cody Rhodes versus Malachi Black. Cody came out in his return dressed like Homelander from The Boys. Do you watch that show? Or are you aware of that reference? Uh, I'm aware of the boys. Okay. Do you, do you know who Homelander is? Do you think he looked like him? Uh, no. I mean, I'm like, I don't, I don't know the context of it. I I know, you know, the show exists, but you don't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know anything about home. Long story short, uh, Homelander is a Captain America like superhero, but the entire show, it's a modern take on superheroes where they're basically all owned or they work as part of a corporation and most of them are bad people mm-hmm. and he's a really terrible person um but he's dressed in so so much red white and blue and it's it's you know over the top to that to that degree blonde hair the whole deal um so Cody looked exactly like him that's the point i was making uh, and that's for anyone who doesn't watch the show anyone who does i think you probably just agree with me off the bat uh, brandy joined him i think that was her return to like the public after having her child congrats to them of course and she gave Black two middle fingers early in the match. The crowd booed Cody and cheered Black throughout the entire match. Uh, I will talk about that later. Cody ate a Black mass after a return from commercial and fell out of the ring with Black unable to lift his dead weight. Black twice countered crossroads, but ate the springboard cutter and then a crossroads for a 2.5 count. So he kicked out of his finisher as Arn Anderson was strangely walking on the ring apron for no reason whatsoever. <laughs> then... 63-year-old Arn Anderson, who is not in wrestling shape, uh, unlike Sting, 62-year-old Sting, who is in wrestling shape, but Arn tries to, like, transverse the ring post and, like, walk around the ring post without getting down from the ring apron to be in his correct spot. I think he was just in the wrong spot. And he literally trips and falls onto the floor, like, I've fallen and I can't get up, older person type of thing, and I'm not making fun of his age. I'm just saying that's what it looked like. He was on his back. And 
Then he struggled to get to his feet. The guys have to waste time in the ring. He purposely gets back onto the ring apron on the other side of the ring so they can do the planned spot with Black throwing Cody into Arn so that Cody can get a little distracted. Cody jumps outside the ring, checks on Arn, who pushes him away. This was all planned. Then Cody brawled with Black in the corner and literally struck a ref. And the ref saw it happen, obviously, because he got hit in the face. That didn't result in a disqualification. Malachi then split Black Mist into Cody's face and won with an inside cradle. The guy's distracted, doesn't even hit his finisher on him again. Wins with an inside cradle as the fans cheered the heel. This was an absolute fucking mess. It would have been better without Arn's screw-up, sure. But Cody was off the entire match. The finish was ridiculous. They don't work well together. They did not work well together the first time they wrestled. I saw some that liked this. That's your prerogative. To each their own. This didn't do it for me in any way. No part of it worked, except for booking Black to beat Cody was the correct call. Why don't you get in here? Because I do have more to talk about this later. Yeah, I, I don't have much more to add about the match. It was kind of a mess. I, I just, I don't know what the, I don't know what Cody's whole thing is right now. Like, like he has been my favorite in AEW for a while because he understands moments and how to create them and how to handle them. But the last several things he's done now are so over the top that I don't know if it if it's him slowly trying to become a heel or if he's just completely like got his head up his ass or something like that. I, I mean, between the, the the weigh in and that that match with the, the boxer, I don't remember his name, um, between that whole thing, between retiring. Yeah, go go. The, the the retiring when he lost to Malachi Black thing and and now this, it's just like I don't know if he's overthinking it and trying to do way too much, but it's getting really weird and it's just not working for AEW fans either. And that that that's a whole other thing because he's 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 always kind of had that WWE in him, but now it's it's what Cody does feels like a completely different product from the rest of the show. It does. It totally does. And so I want to clarify a little bit on the heel turn or or the, the booing. I'll explain. So Cody made comments in New York media that got passed around this week about never wanting to be a heel. And he said he would retire before he ever became a heel. So my guess is that was 100% purposeful that he planted that. The crowd reacted to indication of that because they're smart fans and they read the internet. And therefore... It's actually the direction that they're going purposefully based on the spot of him hitting the referee in the ring. Cody certainly showed heel tendencies throughout the entire match. And I've said this for a long time on this podcast. I have always viewed Cody and the Young Bucks as heels, even when they were faces. Also, Homelander, just going back to my reference, is an ultimate heel. Like he's the top Mm -hmm. heel ever. You, you, no one in the world who knows what this guy's like would ever like him as a human being. So if that was actually the purposeful reference of the gear, it makes even more sense. The match, as I said, not good, not deserving of a spot on a big show like this. Cody, to exactly what you said, Chris, it's been a huge fumble, one thing after another in terms of his booking, um, the QT Marshall stuff, the Anthony Agogo stuff, even to some respects, the Brody Lee stuff, you know, this was mm-hmm. basically a replay of that. The exception being that Cody didn't Cody went over Brody when he came back 
and Cody did not go over Malachi Black this time, but it seems like they're going to use Black to turn him heel potentially. So from a storyline standpoint, in terms of changing his character, okay, maybe that works and, and maybe I'll like it when it actually transpires. But as far as this match being on this show, the way it was wrestled, the way it was booked, it was not good. I'm not going to give it a 0.0 because there were elements that were okay, but it was close to it. And, and the other the other thing, Cody doing the, the go big show, doing these non-wrestling things is definitely a heel thing to the AEW fans. I think a heel turn would be great. It's just, it seems like it's kind of been a slow turn, but like for more than a year now, we're kind of like just been waiting for it and it just hasn't happened. And you kind of not sure how you're supposed to feel about him. Well, it's also good because if they do turn him heel, then it's also a differentiator with WWE. Like WWE refused to make John Cena heel. They finally made Roman Reigns heel because he insisted on it. And it was like almost a condition of him coming back. Um, So, you know, Cody, he has that flexibility and it does make a lot of sense. So I hope it is a heel turn. I hope I like it when it happens, but this for me, this whole thing should not have been on this show. That's just how I feel. Uh, FTR fought Darby, Allen, and Sting. FTR wore NWO style gear, which was very smart considering they were fighting Sting. I thought that was pretty cool. Uh, there was a great spot with Sting hitting a flying crossbody, which it sure felt like shouldn't have happened given the guy is 62 years old, but he did it and he was okay. Uh, Sting got both FTR guys with a Stinger splash and hit the Scorpion death drop on Cash Wheeler. Dax Harwood set a chair between the turnbuckles. Sting avoided it, threw Dax into it before punching Tully Blanchard. Cash tried to save Dax from the Scorpion Deathlock, but Darby hit the coffin drop on the ring apron and Sting got the submission win. This was exceptionally fun and the exact type of match that should have been on the card, unlike the two I just mentioned, the MJF and the Cody match that preceded it. The one thing I did find pretty funny here, Chris, a little bit comical and ironic, is that FTR was dressed up as the NWO which is the group that squashed them and really pissed them off, like in reality, on Raw 25 a couple of years ago. Now they're dressed up as NWO, getting beaten by a 62-year-old man in Sting who was basically the same type of old dude, right, that NWO was, except even <laughs> yes. older, a couple of years later. That to me is really irony. It's different. Yes, you don't need to DM me. I know Sting is wrestling in a match. And that wasn't, it was just a comedy segment or whatever on Raw 25. I get it. But that's pretty ironic and funny when you actually think about it. This match was belonged on this show. It was great. I do wonder about Sting getting over instead of Darby Allen being the one to get the pinfall. But because Darby factored into the finish so much, it didn't bother me as much. And you want Sting to get a big win and pop the crowd. It just kind of feels like FTR... You know, all this talk about, hey, they're going to be better off in AEW. They're going to be so much better. They're going to be themselves. They're basically the same team and they're winning a lot less and they're a lot less successful over there. I, I, I like them over there in, in AEW. I think they belong there. They're doing a great job. But is it better? Are they being used better by AEW than they were in WWE? I don't know that they are. You stole my thunder here. Sorry. FTR should not be losing to a 62-year-old man in Darby Allen. They are former tag team champions. They're one of the best tag teams in the world. And they're losing to a, a team that has only teamed up a handful of times for an actual match. Like, come on. Like, you like all the com like all the complaints that are made toward WWE often, like that's this right here. Uh, imagine if this exact same thing happened in WWE and what the reaction would have been among, you know, a, a group of the fan base. It, it would have been ridiculous. Like, I know we like Sting, and I know people like Darby Allen. He's not my 
cup of tea, but that's that's fine. He 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 can get over. That's that's fine. He's a young rising star. But Sting beating FTR is ridiculous. And ever since they lost the titles, yeah, FTR has just kind of been wandering out there. They had the the you know obviously one of them got hurt. The 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 Santana and Ortiz thing kind of got slowed down. But man, these guys should be in 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 bigger situations again and i just i the match was fine i enjoyed it but did not like the the booking of this and i'm surprised there has not been more criticism of that because if this had happened in wwe there would have been a lot of deserved criticism for it uh, you know it's it's interesting because if it happened in wwe i don't know who the equivalent would be let's make believe it's kurt angle right kurt angle's way younger of course than sting but if it was kurt and like chad gable getting over on the usos I don't know that it would be that criticized. Sting is 62. I know. He's I the know. same. He's the same age as Arn Anderson, by the way. I know. I know. That's what I was saying. Well, earlier. Arn yeah. Anderson's been six. Arn Anderson's been 62 for 40 years. But but like 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 I'm fine with Sting wrestling. I'm fine with Sting winning matches from time to time. But I do not like him beating FTR in a match like this. Yeah, it's it's really more about FTR than for me than it is about Sting. It's like. Yeah, they just came back, sure. But now they've lost two matches uh, immediately. And it's kind of like, well, what's their purpose? Like, what what are they doing now? Now, look, I don't know, man. Like, there, there's some talk that FTR may not be working much longer, at least Cash Wheeler, because of what happened to his arm. If that's the case, maybe they're just trying to get legendary stuff in and then winning doesn't make sense. And if that's the case, fine. But it, it sure. does seem a little strange uh, the way... They've been booked, you know, in totality. And certainly to have Sting be the one to go over here, I think it was for a moment for the crowd. We'll see what happens going yeah. forward with them. I think that's the best way to talk about it. Well, we got to move on. We got to go to the main event here. Uh, again, only going to mention something for Rampage because it factors into what happened on Dynamite. On Rampage, we had Britt Baker and Ruby Soho do a face-to-face. Baker threw barbs at Ruby, who said uh, she knows who she is, but never had the freedom to prove it, which was a shot at WWE. Ruby said Baker is like every other women's wrestler, entitled, stuck up, and banging a dude in the back, which was a great freaking line about Adam Cole. Baker said Ruby calls herself the runaway, but she didn't run away. She got fired. Ruby said it's the best thing that ever happened to her. Every anti-WWE line popped the crowd. Ruby said Baker's head was up Tony Khan's ass, but none of it would matter when she's champion. This was, without question, the best women's promo segment or non-wrestling segment in AEW history. It popped the crowd. It totally ramped up excitement for the match. This also showed how badly Ruby was used by WWE because you can say what you will about her wrestling and we'll talk about the match itself and how she looked in the match. But to think she can cut promos like this and command the mic like that and was never given a chance to do so outside of the short period of time, she cut very short promos as the leader of the Riot Squad when they were initially introduced. The fact that she never got the chance to be in a singles title match in WWE, like a, a real program and carry herself and try to prove herself. It's really pathetic. And this promo, this entire segment proved that. Absolutely. R- Ruby was great. Britt was bit great. Really got people excited for this match. And and the, the line that stuck with me was basically Britt was like, you didn't run away, you were fired. Like th- that, that's, that's, <laughs> That's almost a shoot. I, I mean, they were really getting into she was things. Yeah. 
So I, I, I loved almost every part of this. The one line I didn't like was saying uh, about sleeping with some dude in the back. I just think that perpetuates a, a, a an untrue and, and sometimes dangerous stereotype about women's wrestlers. The, the ring rat sometimes. mentality type of deal. Yes, yeah. especially yeah. coming out of the, the speaking out movement a year or two ago. Um, I, I, I didn't like that line because I, I think it just I think it took away from both of them and just kind of women's wrestling as a whole. Um, but that was my only complaint. Other than that, the whole thing was 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 really good and, and really got me fired up for the match. Yeah, the one thing I'll say is I think AEW's crowd is, quote unquote, smart enough to know she didn't mean it that way. But I but I did have the same thought initially when she said it. So I'm not, you're not off base at all mm-hmm. about that. All right, it's Dynamite, the Women's Championship, AEW Women's Championship, Britt Baker against Ruby Soho. Now, this was the main event. It only got 14 minutes. Um, that's not short by any means, but it's also not long. Ruby splashed the heels from the top rope outside, but Baker caught her with a draping, swinging neckbreaker off the ring apron. Baker hit the sling blade, put gloves on, and flicked off the camera. Ruby countered a stomp into a catapult. Uh, following with an avalanche sent on for a near fall. Baker came back with a neck breaker and a really rough looking air raid crash for a 2.5 count. Baker slammed Ruby's head into the steel steps and hit a stomp for a near fall, which really seemed like it should have been the finish to the match. Like head into the steps, stomp in the ring. What else do you need really? Um, But Ruby caught Baker and Rebel with no future, but Jamie Hayter snapped her over the top rope with the referee's back turned and Baker won with the lockjaw. This match was fine. Uh, Nothing too special. Uh, 3.25 stars, 3.5 stars and a B. I really did not like the finish. Baker had Ruby beaten clean, except they didn't want her to win clean. So they created the typical heel survival win. The three biggest matches of the night, two of them didn't end clean and one didn't have a finish. That's just not ideal to me. I did not think the wrestling was particularly good here. There were moments that were very good, but I don't know if Ruby was held back by Baker or maybe Ruby isn't as good as I thought she was in the ring. I'm not exactly sure what it was. This wasn't great to me and maybe it was good to others. I didn't like it so much. I I thought it was okay. It was clunky at times. And, you know, I mean, maybe sometimes just, People just don't have chemistry. I mean, we've seen Britt have really good matches. We've seen Ruby have have really good matches. Maybe sometimes they just don't click. Maybe it was an off night. I'm not really sure. Um, I agree on the finish. It's a bit weird. It was it was it was a bit it was a bit anticlimactic for a show like that. Now I know the fans in the in the stands got rampage taped afterwards, so it wasn't technically their main event. But yeah, I kind of expected something a bit uh, a bit more for the for the for the flurious flurry finish. Um, but you know, on the other hand, it was impossible to live up to Omega Brian earlier in the day. So it was, I thought it was okay. I didn't hate it, but, but it wasn't, um, it wasn't quite what I was hoping for. Okay. So that's everything that happened on dynamite. I did have two other things I wanted to discuss before we get out of this and onto AEW rampage. First, Arthur Ashe stadium, Arthur Ashe, the man broke major color barriers in tennis and sports in general over three decades. I just want to say it was not lost on me that the only person of color on this entire show was Brandy Rhodes and not a single person who wrestled. Now, 
That is not the case at all for Rampage, which has an extremely diverse card. So the card as a whole, all of it was taped in one night, was indeed diverse. But we talk about the AEW main event scene largely looking one way. And I think this was proof right in our faces that that's the case. Yeah, no, it's been a point of conversation for a while now. And, you know, that becomes more and more true as things go on and you have a major show like this. And I know, again, they're on Rampage, but Rampage ain't going to do near the numbers that Dynamite does. And that's something that needs to just kind of be considered. You know, you got to have people who can take a look at these things and maybe it's a blind spot uh, on certain things. And you got to realize kind of what you're presenting and, and who you're presenting it to and how people can view that. Yeah. So I'm glad you brought that up. Yeah, just something I noticed. And then speaking of the stadium, it was an incredible venue. The fact that WWE never ran here is honestly shocking. Uh, yeah. I will say that because it was so big and because the crowd was so loud and because it was built for tennis, which means it has incredible acoustics and 20,000 yeah. people can feel like 50,000 people. It felt like a pay-per-view. And we were given from a booking standpoint, especially when you combine both cards, a pay-per-view quality card. Yet, for it to only be two hours live on TV and with some of the finishes we got, I left feeling somewhat unsatisfied. And that's a Kenny KGB reference, uh, movie referencing case some of you are too young or Chris probably won't get it because he doesn't watch good movies. But my point is, nope. you didn't get it? Yeah, really? Okay. Nope. Amazing. Rounders. You don't watch Star Wars, so I don't want to hear. Okay, but that's one franchise. There's an entire, you know, spectrum of films that you just don't watch. Rounders is an incredible all-time movie. I mean, it's for for men, for men our age when we were growing up. Rounders is like one of those top movies. It's on TV all the time. The fact that you don't get that is crazy. But I'm my, aware of it. My point is, you're aware, but you haven't seen it. It's Matt Damon. It's a great freaking movie. Um, my point is, this really should have been a pay-per-view location. So we could get like four straight live hours in this venue with this crowd. I have a feeling AEW is going to keep doing Grand Slam once a year and have it be a TV special. Um, they're talking about TNT, you know, night specials. I think Saturday night specials as part of the new contract in the future. My guess is that's what they'll do for this. But man, this felt like it, it should have been a pay-per-view and it should have been booked like a pay-per-view. And because of that, it was slightly, again, unsatisfying. Um, I don't know... I don't know, because, you know, we didn't have the tag titles on. Like, we just had a, a pay-per-view that had a, a lot of titles on the line and a lot of story build. This one didn't have that much story build. It was more just kind of a celebration of a show. It was, hey, Adam Cole's here. He's going to wrestle. Hey, you're going to get Kenny Omega, Daniel Bryan. You like that? Hey, we're, we'll, we'll do a women's title match with, like, maybe a week or two's worth of build. So it... It felt like a pay-per-view, but it wasn't built like a pay-per-view. So I didn't have super high expectations. My expectations were just there's going to be some some cool matchups that I really want to see. And the crowd is going to be insane. The crowd is part of the draw. I mean, I like those NXT takeovers back in the day were the absolute best thing in wrestling because you had a crowd that was fully bought in. And that makes such a, a world of difference. And this show starts and the crowd's chanting AEW, AEW. Like that was the NXT thing. Like it was the thing to chant the name of the promotion. And obviously back in the ECW days. So 
I didn't, so it was a bit anticlimactic of a finish, like I said, but my general feeling coming out was, hey, AEW is just doing, is just giving people things they want to see. I mean, we have issues with certain things. They are presented in long-term stories and in various things, but they're still just firing out, hey, you want something? Here's this. And the Owen Hart situation, which we haven't talked about, is another one of those. It's just like, hey, what do fans like? Let's just give it to them. And is this is this strategy going to work for another two, three years straight? I don't know. But I just expected, hey, let's have a celebration of wrestling basically at the show. And that's kind of what I, I came away feeling. Well, AEW's goal is for the company to be a face. And that's very rare in wrestling. Usually the companies are heels. Um, and for mm-hmm. AEW to position itself that way, we've already talked about how important the fans are to the product. It's really interesting. I just, I felt like for a venue... And for a feeling like we got it, it wasn't used to its maximum potential. That's what I'm saying. Like this That's could fair. have been, this could have been otherworldly for a pay-per-view, you know, that crowd, it, 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 the way it was, you know, the, the matches that were potentially on the card or could have been, if it was a pay-per-view, that's all I'm trying to say. I'm not downgrading what we saw. It no, was a freaking great but, but, show, you know, but having two shows in one spot in like, if you were there, you may have a completely oh, the ticket. Feeling. Oh, no, no, no. If you're in attendance, yeah. you yeah. got your value. I mean, you got a pay-per-view. Yeah. I want to clarify. I'm talking about as a TV viewer. If you are someone who is right. at that event, you got a pay-per-view, 100%. Not even, you probably got better than a pay-per-view because you got four hours of just straight up wrestling the entire time with special appearances and fun stuff. Don't get me wrong. I'm only saying as a TV viewer. So I'm glad sure. you clarified that. All right. Let's move to AEW Rampage and let's do this pretty quick because not really much happened that was notable. The tag team titles were on the line. Lucha Bros against Butcher and Blade. It didn't even make sense that Butcher came back and immediately got a title match. Pentagon and Ray Phoenix did a combination Tope Con Hero and to- Top Rope Splash outside. The champions hit Fear Factor. Butcher made the save. Blade tied the straps of Penta's mask to the middle rope as Phoenix got his ass beat. The crowd was dead for it, but the match finish was really good. Penta purposely removed his mask and covered his face with one hand just to make a save on the fall. And then Phoenix locked up a pinning combination for the win. The HFO attacked after the match because that's what happens in AEW, only for Santana and Ortiz to make a save. And now we have an eight-man match for this week's Rampage. I honestly can't believe I'm saying this, but it's true. A Lucha Bros segment was bad. The finish was very creative, and it should have been the type of finish you use for like a pay-per-view match or something like that. But everything else in this match was really disappointing. Yeah, I mean, and to your point about Butcher coming back and them just being in the tag team picture, while you were talking, I went back to look. And as of September 10th, I think that's before he came back, they were number three in the rankings hmm. um, behind okay. the uh, behind the Young Bucks and behind Jungle Express. So I, I guess if you were paying attention yeah, to that that's, that's week fair. to week. Yeah, it, it would make sense because honestly, I hadn't, I hadn't thought about that, too. And we did just get the promo from the gun club about how they're eight. No, and they don't get any respect. So um, so in fairness to AEW, it looks like they were pretty high on the rankings at that point. But um, but yeah, this was kind of, you know, like you knew it wasn't going to be a title change. So that kind of plays into it in part. And yeah, it was. It was it was just, again, kind of clunky, like the whole HFO thing with Matt Hardy, it's kind of you know, AW has a few of these just cobbled together factions and you don't really know what to make of them. I really liked the the butcher, the blade and the bunny when they were kind of on their own as their own thing. But as part of a bigger group, they kind of just feel lost in the shuffle. 
I like them under Eddie Kingston also, but yeah, yeah, HFO is really exactly what you just described. It's just a bunch of people together and it doesn't really. And I I don't think it, I don't think it's helping really any of them. So I agree. I don't um, think it's helping any of them. No. And we love factions here. Like we, we know that, but AEW is, is, is a bit over the top with them. And so, yeah, match was, it was a bit clunky again. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so we had the bunny against Anna J. There were some good counters. Ty Conti took Penelope Ford down outside the ring, and Anna rolled up the bunny for the win. Ford punched Conti and Anna with brass knuckles after the match. The match got eight minutes. Five of them were during commercial break. I counted. The post-match continued the story nicely, but this was nothing to write home about. Again, we got three minutes of live women's action. If I criticize WWE for it, I'm going to criticize uh, AEW for it. It's really the same thing. Technically, it's longer, but it really isn't. Yeah, nope, it really is. I don't have much to add other than that. Uh, Matt Hardy got angry at a dude dressed as Orange Cassidy at ringside, pulled him over the barricade, rolled him into the ring, hit Twist of Fate, and cut his ponytail off. Orange made the save way too late after the dude's head was half shaved. I, I don't even know how to you know, analyze this. Uh, I guess it does a good job to like continue promoting the hair match, but the fact that he wants Orange Cassidy's hair because Orange broke his nose, it, it, it doesn't make sense to me. Yeah, it's it's kind of whatever, but I will just say the dude getting his ponytail cut off for a segment is uh it's a commitment. So oh, sure, I don't yeah. know if he I don't know if he's with the company or what or what the situation was, but but I mean it what it didn't get him a ton of heat, but that's the kind of move that's like, oh, you're gonna cut off a dude's long hair. I don't I don't care who that is, that's a pretty big deal uh, to that person. So I, I was like, Oh, that's actually kind of a little more intense than I, I thought, but um I wish that, the guy was like whatever. a TV character because Think about like when Serena Deeb did that in WWE right. for the Straight Edge Society. She got her whole head shaved. You're like, holy crap, who is this woman? And then she ends yeah. up being an on-air character. You're like, whoa, mm-hmm. you know, a wrestler actually, you know, obviously. Um, yeah. You're like, holy shit, like this is pretty cool that they did that. You know, that was just a dude. He was not going to be a wrestler. Um, TNT Championship, Miro against Fuego de Sol. This was the best of the dual Mark Henry interviews uh, preceding a Rampage made event. Miro caught Fuego flying, uh, but got thrown into the post twice himself. Miro threw Fuego into the crowd. The two fans helped him jump off the barricade. Miro caught Fuego with a fallaway slam. It was a fun start. There were like five minutes of commercials right in the middle of it. Fuego hit two double stomps in the basement DDT, but Miro beat the shit out of him with hammer fists and hit a thrust kick for the one, two, three. Miro then took the car keys he won, put them in Fuego's mouth, and bent him over with Game Over, his uh, finisher, the accolade. Sammy Guevara made the save to presumably set up a TNT title feud, which uh, we figured was going to happen last week on Dynamite. And I believe they announced for this coming week on Dynamite. I didn't find anything wrong with this match. It was repetitive. It didn't really help Miro. It did help set up the next feud with Sammy. It was not a main event match. Booking Sammy as Miro's next challenger is fantastic. You guys know I am higher on him than any other young dude right now in AEW. If they have changed the Eddie Kingston booking where Eddie's now not going to take the title off Miro, which it seemed like he was going to. And it seemed like they were setting up a rematch for that. If they're not going to do that, which theoretically could still come at full gear the next pay-per-view, I would love to see Sammy take the title off Miro. Yeah, no, Sammy's great. He has really been, speaking of lost on the shuffle, he has been nowhere to really be seen since the, the pinnacle inner circle stuff mostly kind of died out. Um, obviously, they're kind of, going their separate ways now and he has not yet found footing at a time when 
Adam Cole and Daniel Bryan, Brian Anderson and CM Punk are now in the company. And and that's the kind of thing where you're concerned with AW bringing in all these other WWE guys. It just it naturally pushes people down the totem pole. And Sammy Guevara is one of those guys. This in the first year plus of AW, this guy was one of the top guys, was clearly the next star, and he hasn't been there. So I, I'm absolutely looking forward to a, a storyline with Miro. I think him taking off taking the title off him would be a good move because uh, I, I think Sammy's the guy who really needs to kind of bounce back up. And lastly here, this is just a little bit of news report. Andrew Zarian uh, reports that AEW will introduce a secondary women's title called, you guessed it, the TBS Championship. Uh, so AEW does not have enough time to give the women two matches on an episode of Dynamite. I think it's happened three times ever. And when it did, the other one was a squash match. And they can't give them more than eight minutes with a double commercial break most weeks. But they're going to give them a second women's championship. This is the same criticism I've used for WWE and the women's tag team titles. Mm-hmm. Don't introduce a new title if it's not going to be used well. Now, look, maybe there's a chance that AEW uses it well. Maybe it becomes a Rampage exclusive title. So the women's matches there are always about it or for it. But a 15 to 30 second promo every week with the champion like we get with Miro, that ain't going to cut it. And I don't know. There's so many. A a trio's title for the men, I think, would have been a much better addition than a second women's title when they can't even have two women's storylines or three women's storylines going on simultaneously across three hours of television. It's a crutch. When you can't build a a feud that doesn't involve a title, you just make up another title because then it just becomes a natural way to have a feud. And that was a criticism of the WWE women's booking for a long time and with the tag team situation. And it hasn't really been good. So um, I don't really have any thoughts on this other than I guess just they got to try something different. Yeah, we'll see if it works. Because they they're not coming up with enough on their own. I, I was really excited for the women's tag team championships in WWE because the women's roster across both shows is really big. And the idea mm-hmm. of giving the other women something to do, a title to compete for, made sense because they had enough women to fill it up, right? But what happened with WWE was they started kept using main eventers and people who were already singles champions as the tag team title holders. They didn't use the others. And then they released a bunch of the other women so that the, yeah. now their roster is thin and they still have these titles. Now, I'm not worried about AEW releasing people. And they do have a number of women on the roster. It's not thin. It's certainly not exceptionally deep, but it's not thin. But at the same time, if you're not putting them on television, then what's the purpose of having that second title? And if they're doing this, my presumption is they're no longer going to be using the NWA title because that to me is saying, hey, that thing's going back to NWA. We're not going to feature that normally on our programming like we did for a while. But even when they did that, it was really a storyline about one or the other and never both simultaneously. And then there were never really other women's storylines happening. And again, anyone who says to me or is about to say, well, Adam, they do other women's matches and storylines on Dark and Elevation. That's great. I don't care. If I'm not watching main event for WWE, I'm not watching Dark and Elevation. It's just, it's not going to happen as a viewer. No. As someone who likes sports and likes TV and likes movies, I don't have all this time in my life to watch these YouTube shows. It's just not going to happen. Yeah, I've tried to catch them sometimes, just put them on in the background while I'm working, but no, that doesn't, that doesn't count. I Like, that. that's the issue with the gun club. There ain't no, but they haven't won on TV. So does it? Does it really count? I mean, clearly not. They're below several other teams in the tag team ranking. So um, 
it's good to have. I mean, I like the more wrestling, more opportunities, but you can't say that that counts very much in stories. Chris, I appreciate you joining me to talk AEW. Now it's time for us to move on and break down the second episode of the newly revamped NXT. I told you guys I'm not going to be saying the name uh, that they are using for that show. The newly revamped NXT. Uh, It opened this week with a really well done video package that showed off everything that happened last week. Then new NXT champion Tommaso Ciampa walked out with his title as Carmelo Hayes and Trick Williams, Braun Breaker, Odyssey Jones, Joe Gacy, and Joe Briggs and Brooks Jensen were already in the ring. Champa put himself in the rookies over. He said, things may look different, but the passion is the same. He shouted out the wrestlers and the fans, calling the fans the heartbeat of NXT. There was a really big chant. Champa said with him as champion, NXT is the A show again, and did Triple H's We Are NXT, which the crowd did with him. It was really the perfect promo, and it probably should have been one that happened last week. Like, if they put that title match at the 9 p.m. hour, Champa won, and then either immediately afterwards or at the end of the show, he was able to cut that promo. It really would have been well-placed. Here, it still worked. It was very good. I just think it would have worked even better last week to calm some fears for people. Uh, Cameron Grimes, LA Knight, and Pete Dunne came out as challengers, and everyone, plus more from the back, all brawled together. Champa and Braun stood tall, only for Dunne and Ridge Holland to come back at them. Then women were also shown brawling backstage in a chaotic type of scene. Braun made a tag team challenge that the Brits accepted. And then Braun later stared down Champa's title again while backstage, saying he was excited to team up with the champion. Things really have uh, gotten out of control with Samoa Joe no longer the enforcer and William Regal must be going crazy. That's all I could think about. Uh, The opening promo was really good on its own. I could have done without the brawling and, and such. It was chaos for chaos's sake. There continues to be a learning curve as we try to get used to the new people and the format. It feels to me like it's too much, too fast at times. But one rookie out of the four being in the main event, that was obviously the right booking and that's how it should go. So we got the main event, Champa and Braun against Dunn and Holland. Uh, Braun was super impressive, throwing Holland and Dunn around with suplexes and front slams. Champa threw Holland into the steps and Dunn over the announce table, but Holland hit Champa with a huge forearm as he was celebrating while patting himself on the back. Breaker popped the crowd with the Steiner recliner on Dunn, uh, but he ate a boot and an Alabama slam. The Brits tried to use Holland's nightstick, but Champa thwarted them. Suddenly out of nowhere, Kyle O'Reilly ran down, hit Holland in the stomach with the nightstick. Champa took Dunn out with Willow's Bell, and Breaker hit a really impressive press power slam, which seems to be his finisher, on Holland for the win in a pretty exciting match, I will say. Breaker played games with the NXT title afterwards, kind of pulling it back and forth with Champa. Breaker has it, man. He has it in every conceivable way. It's just so blatantly obvious. The only thing that doesn't work for this guy is the name. And that's not me saying all WWE names are bad. And honestly, I don't even believe he had to be Rex Steiner, as was initially uh, brought up. And we thought that was going to be his name on the show. But another name, Rex Bronson. The breaker part of this name is just really bad. I hope at some point in the future, there's a way to change it. But this guy looks like his dad. He sounds like his uncle and he wrestles extremely well, despite being a neophyte. I believe he's only been wrestling like since October of last year, but has only actively been wrestling since February. It was very good. This main event was the longest match over the last two weeks and it deserved it. And just one more time, 
Braun Breaker, despite the name, has it. I missed my cue on that earlier. Uh, the Cruiserweight Championship uh, was the first match on the show. Kushida against Roderick Strong. Kushida took Strong off the ropes of the forearm breaker. Strong hit running elbows, but Kushida got him in the hoverboard lock. Strong was about to tap as Malcolm Bivens put Strong's foot on the bottom rope. Bivens distracted the referee as the Creed brothers pulled Kushida out of the ring. Ivy Nile hit him with a Superman punch, and Strong added a pump knee plus his finisher backbreaker for the 1-2-3 to win the title. The match got about nine minutes, including a commercial, which I've, I obviously was not a fan of. Uh, with five faction members at ringside, and this being a new era of NXT, the title change was obviously coming. We knew it the entire time. It's a bit tough because Kushida's had such an up-and-down NXT career, and he's barely had time as champion. I'd at least like to have had another five or six minutes in this match, considering it was really great wrestling between the two guys. Nine minutes with a commercial break is just... I mean, that's what AEW does for the women's matches. It's ridiculous. Uh, Strong as a champion and the leader of a faction makes sense, of course. More than anything else, I'm concerned about what this means for Kushida's future. We're going to have to see what happens to him. But if this was 15 minutes instead of nine, you're talking about a totally different match, something I can rate, something people probably would have raved about. It was just too short. And again, it was made too short because NXT is trying to fit too much on the show. And that's a problem up and down the entire card. Uh, Grayson Waller, Drake Maverick's partner the last two weeks, he came out to challenge Strong next week and Bivens eventually accepted. Waller was later approached by Hayes and Trick, who threatened that they might come after the Cruiserweight title next. Waller seems like he can go. So I am curious about next week, but it's really quite ridiculous for a rookie who has, I don't think he guy even has a win under his belt to get an NXT Cruiserweight Championship match. It just doesn't work for me. Tony D'Angelo cut another promo from the docks. Hey, he's wrestling here, you know? Uh, he said he's serious about his success in the WWE. I'm tired of this guy. He hasn't even wrestled yet. It's a stereotypical gimmick. It's not for me. It's from the 80s, from the 90s. Apparently, this guy's an independent wrestler. He has some talent. Maybe this will work. Maybe there's a twist to it. I don't know. But right now, I don't like it. Uh, Briggs and Jensen explained that their team formed following a bar fight that occurred after Briggs lost in the NXT breakout tournament. And then uh, WWE NXT showed bar security footage of the brawl as it happened. This was eons better than the Tony D'Angelo deal. It was modern, realistic. I wasn't a huge fan of these guys during last week's episode, but they sold it more here. They have a reason for being teammates, a very quick, easy reason that was explained. They seem to work together. They have a good look. So I, I am a little bit optimistic about Briggs and Jensen. Kaylee Ray fought Amari Miller. This was a squash with KLR using the Gory Bomb for the win. I think they're calling it the KLR Bomb, which is a far worse name than the Gory Bomb. Uh, these are the types of matches we used to get back in the day, the squashes with a really big star going over you know, a rookie. Uh, those are the ones we used to get on WWE Network. So this is what I think we can expect sometimes from this new NXT. Zion Quinn, a former Australian footballer with a great wrestling look, was holding a door open for a couple women. When another guy tried to walk past them, Quinn stopped him, let the women in, then threw the dude face first into the door. There wasn't much to this, but it was a decent way to tell fans that this guy is a face. Quinn has a lot of upside and could be a real breakout star. The problem? They never named him. They never said who the guy was. There was no graphic. Commentary didn't mention it later. It was just a big, good-looking dude. Well, if you're introducing new people, you got to tell us who they are. All right? That's how it works. Uh, Dante Chen fought Trey Baxter. Chen was billed as the first WWE superstar born in Singapore. He had a good look. He basically squashed Baxter with a cool straddling neckbreaker move. I don't really know what that's called. Uh, that was tough for Baxter, who 
is way more experienced as a wrestler than Chen. Later, Cora Jade walked into his locker room and cured his depression with a kiss, remarking that Chen basically looked like a superhero. They're dating in real life, him and Cora Jade, Baxter and Cora Jade, by the way, just to clarify. Although, again, another circumstance where they did not name her, so we had no idea necessarily who she was, even though she has been on NXT television before. Uh, but also, Baxter, his ear kind of got caught when she called Dante Chen a superhero. So I don't know what that's going to mean for him, but clearly it's an indication of a gimmick or something like that. Maybe this loss will play into a character. Uh, we had Cameron Grimes against Joe Gacy. This started with Gacy sitting in a chair in the middle of the ring with a politically correct virtue signaling, woke, white dude type of gimmick. He wore a collared shirt and slacks talking about the squared circle being a safe space and not using his privilege. And he did it all with a smile on his face. Definitely a heel gimmick. And it wasn't a bad start for him, actually. Gacy got some offense, but Grimes won with the cave-in as expected. Gacy tried to shake his hand, but Grimes hesitated. So Gacy hugged him and then Grimes pushed him off. I'm really curious to see if this works for Gacy. The idea of PC Principal, the character from South Park, as a heel wrestler is a really, really good gimmick idea. And if they give him some, you know, John Wayne Gacy, which is clearly what the name's based off of, or Waylon Mercy uh, type of vibes where he has one character, uh, but then he can quickly twist into a psychotic madman or something like that on the other end. That could really work for this guy. I think he can pull it off. He seems to have a lot of personality. I was really interested in Joe Gacy. Uh, the Index Wedding package aired from last week, and NXT announced the honeymoon begins next week. That's obviously going to be incredible. Cannot wait for that. Von Wagner did a vignette, uh, just working out with a sledgehammer and oversized tire while talking about his journey only being the beginning after getting an NXT title shot last week. He actually sounded pretty good. I didn't like his look last week. I liked the way he sounded this week. And by the way, I've done that workout with the sledgehammer and the tire. It sucks in the best possible way, but it it is brutal, especially when you do it for a long time. Uh, Electra Lopez fought Anna Shear. Electra was dressed far more conservatively than she was when she initially debuted in NXT a couple months ago. She won a squash with a swinging slam and a vertical suplex into a sit-down powerbomb that began on her side. It was pretty cool. Santos Escobar put Lopez over. Then she put herself over, called Bfab Pera, or Bitch. Uh, hit Row entered, but BFAB attacked Lopez from behind before the men separated them. We know this match is coming. I like that Lopez got a featured spot one week after BFAB did, so they each got to shine on their own, and then they're going to fight each other. And again, that's what the NXT on the WWE Network used to be, so that was very, very cool to see that kind of coming back. By the way, Escobar has better drip than Seth Rollins straight up, and probably has better drip than anyone else in wrestling to this point. The man always looks like a million bucks. Frankie Monet and crew ran into Raquel Gonzalez backstage. Gonzalez explained that William Regal set their NXT Women's Championship match for next week. It was originally scheduled for the debut of the new NXT, but it got pushed due to the men's title being vacated. So suddenly the title was on the line. They didn't want to put both matches on the same show. I presume Gonzalez is going to retain here. Then some woman called Lash Legend approached and said her talk show Lashing Out debuts next week. Now, this is a former Mississippi State women's basketball player, uh, Anrielle Howard. So giving a rookie a talk show, definitely a choice. We'll see if it's good, if it works at all. Um, but this was one of the few, you know, newly debuting people they actually did name on the broadcast. And that was good. Uh, Andre Chase had a Andre Chase University uh, seminar. Chase showed footage of Odyssey Jones costing himself the NXT breakout tournament 
and a student reminded Chase that Odyssey beat him the round before. Chase went off cursing at this guy. His name was Steve. Uh, throwing stuff. He was cursing like Bobby Knight. I saw some people like this. For me, it's a little bit of a wait and see. It feels a bit derivative and like it's from another era. I do like the kayfabe idea that this guy spent all this money setting up a classroom just to trash Odyssey Jones, right? Because he does. we know he doesn't actually have a university. But with Timothy Thatcher, he was doing the thatch as thatch can. This is a little bit in that vein. Also, don't forget, we had the Dean Douglas stuff back in the day in WWE. Like I said, it feels derivative. We'll see if it continues and what they do. But certainly Chase dressed up like a teacher in a red sweater. It did look good and it did work for him individually as a wrestler. Uh, but we'll see where this entire thing goes. Odyssey Jones fought Kerry Millman and Darren Chiapetta, I believe. Uh, this was a handicap match. Odyssey took out both guys with a running crossbody, stacked them, and then hit a middle rope frog splash for the win. I mean, holy shit. I have no idea how these guys lived after eating that move. This was the best squash on the show. Chase was ringside. He tried to hit Odyssey Jones with a chair after the match, but Jones scared him off. Odyssey has a lot of charisma. His success is going to depend on how they package him. Happy-go-lucky big man on its own is not going to get the job done. Ikamin Jiro showed off his closet full of unique jackets and gear, saying most Japanese wrestlers are strong style, but he is style strong. This was very campy and corny, but it was something I think could completely work. This is not, by the way, a WWE gimmick, just to be clear. This is what Jiro is about. It was his character in Japan. There's a ton of corny acts that work in WWE. He could definitely fall in line with the rest of those. Uh, And lastly, on the show, we had Toxic Attraction, the Mandy Rose, Gigi Dolan, and JC Jane group. They walked by Mello and Trick backstage, completely distracting both guys. Then they made an entrance where the camera spent a lot of time zooming in on their bodies. Mandy said she joined WWE to be a gift and a golden goddess, but realized she's actually a woman that most people could never get. She flubbed the words battered uh, and beaten. The gist was that they're attractive, but they're more than pretty faces. Dolan said they brought the aggression out of Mandy while Mandy brought direction and purpose to them. JC then called out the women's tag team champions. Backstage, Io Shirai said she didn't like them, so they might as well get a title shot. Zoe Stark argued with her. Then Persia Parada came up and said there's other women's tag teams in the division like her and Indy Hartwell who will want to match when Indy's honeymoon is over. Again, Persia, another person, brand new. We did see her in the uh, bridal shower gimmick, or not bridal shower, uh, bachelorette party gimmick um, a couple weeks ago, but she was never named and we still don't know who she is and she wasn't named here either. Um, We'll see. But okay, you know, let's kind of get into breaking this down. As far as toxic attraction goes. That's the most action I've had all year. I mean, yeah, it was. Uh, Besides that, Mandy was all over the place. The promo was kind of weak. If no one in a group is strong on the mic, the group as a whole will suffer. Dolan was the best of the three and is probably the best of the three in the ring as well. Overall, I'm not a huge fan of all these rookies immediately getting title shots without earning them. There's really no logistical reason as to why they deserve chances when there is still a loaded NXT roster. Just asking for a title match should not get you one. So that's something I hope changes after this first month of rookie introductions kind of finishes. So through two weeks of the new NXT, Here are my takeaways. Superficially, there's too many colors and there's too much light. It would help to dim the crowd just a little bit and choose three or four colors as opposed to the entire rainbow 
all the time. They do something cool where some of the background pieces change during entrances and promo segments to match the individual wrestlers. Like Pete Dunnett went black and red. Tommaso Ciampa, it went black and gold, stuff like that. I think having themes for each match where you have three colors and those are the only ones used during that match, even if it's not personal colors of the wrestlers involved, I think it would help the overall aesthetic. It's just there's too much going on visually and the entire CWC or whatever it's called now being bright and all the colors being bright and so many of them hitting our eyes at once. To me as a viewer, it's a little too much. It is still a massive improvement from the CWC, from the chain link and the black and the gold and everything being really dark. So it's better, but it could be closer to perfect. And I think my suggestions would help make it perfect. Other than that, there's still too many matches and too many segments. There's four matches an hour, which means eight matches a show, uh, including promos, vignettes, and videos. There's like 10 per hour or 20 for the show. That's just too much. You got to cut that down. Cut one match off an hour, three matches per hour, and cut two of those segments off. Now you're you know, going down from 10 to you're going down to about you know, six or seven. And that's way easier to digest as a viewer. We don't need every new person on TV every week. Also, it's too many new people, like I said, with plenty of them not even having their, mention, their name mentioned on air. How am I supposed to start following them or liking them if I don't know who they are? I mentioned Cora Jade Lash Legend, Zion Quinn, and the guy Quinn beat up. We don't even know who that is. I don't even know who that is. I couldn't even figure it out. So the basics of this new NXT, I think, are strong. It's exactly what I told you guys I expected a month ago. The original NXT from WWE Network that so many people liked, but a little bit more modern and obviously on TV instead of on WWE Network. Squash matches with young talent as veterans hold titles and run the main event scene. There's nothing wrong with that. It just overall needs to do less. Cut off the matches and segments, give everything else more time to breathe, let people work, and everyone is going to be better off for it. There were only two out of nine matches on this show that got longer than a couple of minutes, two to three minutes. That cannot be how this show operates. It doesn't need to be AEW. It doesn't need to be Raw or SmackDown but it needs to be the best version of NXT. Right now, they've taken steps in a good direction. They're just not all the way there. And if they don't get there, and if if it's this every single week, I really think that's going to wear on people and they're going to get tired of watching it. So we'll see if this develops, especially once Triple H comes back. Obviously, we wish him the best of health. We hope he recovers soon. We And selfishly, we want him back behind the scenes, if not on TV for NXT, that would be you know, welcome to kind of be able to see Triple H. And I hope he does make at least one appearance. So that's the breakdown of NXT. Of course, we had the full breakdown of AEW Dynamite Grand Slam and AEW Rampage for next week. Right now, as of today, the taping of this show, we are not planning to do a Friday show, uh, which would be technically the go home for Extreme Rules and AEW Rampage Grand Slam. It just seems like it's going to be too much. We don't know what's going to happen. However, if suddenly Friday night is newsworthy, particularly with SmackDown. There is a chance we have a Friday episode here. If not, the next time you hear us, we'll be live at 6.30 p.m. Eastern on Sunday on Twitter Spaces with a WWE Extreme Rules last minute pre-show. We'll talk about every match on the card. We'll allow you guys, the listeners, to join us and ask questions either 
via tweet, or you can even speak on the show and join us. It's really a lot of fun. I really hope that you guys get the opportunity to join us. In order to do so, you need to follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast, and then 6.30 p.m. Eastern on Sunday, you'll see a tweet. All you need to do is click on the link and you're in the show. It's literally as simple as that. And then Sunday, as soon as WWE Extreme Rules goes off the air, we will have instant analysis of Extreme Rules, the podcast dropping very quickly. It will be available for you late Sunday night, early Monday morning, whenever you get the opportunity to listen. Do not miss that episode because we come back Tuesday with our normal WWE episode. We'll talk about the fallout of Extreme Rules on Raw, as well as the dark side of the ring, Plane Ride from Hell documentary, not documentary, I'm sorry, the uh, dark side of the ring show that we got on Vice this week or last week. So I am excited to discuss that as well. And then of course, next Thursday, we will be back to talk all things AEW and NXT right here on the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast. Speaking of that, how about you guys not forget what we are all about? So please, stop being marks for yourselves and go back to being a mark for me. Go back to being marks for the Silver King, for Vintage Chris Vanini, and the entire Getting Over Wrestling Podcast, folks. It's very simple. You head on over to Apple Podcasts, leave a five-star rating, write a couple words, tell people why you love the show. Any other service that allows you to leave ratings and reviews, Spotify maybe, or Google or whatever else, leave a five-star rating and review there for us. Tell people why they should listen to this show. We're growing every single week, and you guys are a huge reason why. So that is really it for me today. Yeah, uh, I'll be right back. We will see you on Sunday, as I said, with the live show on Twitter Spaces and the WWE Extreme Rules Instant Analysis. So for Vintage Chris Benini, this is the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, bidding you adieu and signing off with three final words. Bye for now. Thank you.